Well, we've just come through the Christmas season. We made it. Hallelujah. That glorious season that's characterized in our materialistic age as the season of wants. How many times were you asked in December, what do you want for Christmas? I bet nobody asked you, what do you need? What do you need? Well, for life to be lived and eternal life to be gained, our wants fall away quickly in the face of our true needs. Think about it. We need oxygen every moment of our lives or we die. We need water and food and the light of the sun or we die. How much more we need the bread of life and the water of life, the light of life, the resurrection and the life. The Lord Jesus Christ to know eternal life. But sadly, most human beings are blind to and hardened to the heart, to the very core of their being, to this greatest need of humanity, the need of Christ, the need of Jesus, the great high priest. But thanks be to God the Father for his amazing grace to us and And the author of Hebrews has been reminding the believers in and around Jerusalem that they must not, they cannot take their eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ like those who had abandoned the church and and abandoned Christ and who had fallen away and gone back to temple worship and the, the dead and lifeless things of human religion. We must not take our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, in the midst of this fallen and godless world, disciples of Christ are attacked constantly and tempted to take their eyes off Jesus. We're told again and again the siren calls of this fallen world, what we really need for life. You know, in our modern age of statism, we're constantly told things like what you really need for life is excellent health care. What you really need for life is a vibrant economy. You really need a a strong military or great education. And you know, the list goes on and on of what you really need for life. And you see, without the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit to give our hearts and our souls and our minds the right vision of what we really need, we just can't see it. Without, without the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the Son of God giving us the ability to see our great need, sin blinds us. We need the high priest. He alone is what we truly need. And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews has been declaring with absolute clarity from the beginning. You need Jesus Christ because he's greater than the holy angels. You need Jesus Christ because he's greater than the prophet Moses. You need Jesus Christ because he's greater than the holy warrior Joshua. You need Jesus Christ because he's greater than King David. And this morning we see you need Jesus Christ because he's greater than Aaron, the high priest. You need Christ, the true high priest. So that in our time of need, which is day by day, 
throughout our lives and on the day of days when we face the Lord in our death, that we can draw near to the throne of love and receive mercy and grace through our high priest of life. So let's hear God's word from Hebrews. We'll read the last verse of chapter 4 and then verse 1 through 10 in chapter 5. Hear God's word. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Amen, the word of the Lord for you and me. May he write it upon our hearts and our lives. Well, that brings us to our very first point this morning. The first of two, believers have confidence in God's mercy because Christ alone is perfectly qualified to be the high priest. What we see here in these verses, we see the qualifications, we see the duties, we see the nature, and we see the calling of the high priest given to us by God. So what is the high priest as described by God's word, as defined by God's word? Well, here in verses 1 through 4, we're given the description of the high priest after the order of Aaron. Moses' brother, who was the first high priest, and then his line, the Levitical line, which the high priest came from. So how does the author define this, the office? Well, first, we see it in his duties. Right there in verse 1, what the high priest is called to do. What's he called to do? He is called to act. He is called to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And in the case of Aaron, because he is a sinner, he must act, uh, uh, offer up sacrifice for his own sin before he can do so for the people. He's defined by his duty to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. You know, no doubt what the author of Hebrews has here in mind is to capture specifically what took place in Leviticus chapter 16 and 17, dealing with Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement. That day when the priest would make atonement for the sins of the people. Well, don't we find ourselves being defined by what we do? 
You know, you meet somebody, you start to chat with them. It doesn't take very long before the question bubbles up. What do you do? Well, it's because what you do is part and parcel of who you are. It defines you. Well, what does the high priest do? He stands between holy God and unholy man and offers up sacrifices and gifts. And this is important. The duty of the high priest as defined by God, it shows us fundamentally our greatest problem. You see, at the fall, when Adam fell into sin, we lost the ability to go before the Lord face to face in and of ourselves in a relationship of peace and communion. What Adam enjoyed in the garden was lost because of his sin and it plunged all of humanity into this, into rebellion. So we need a go-between. We need a mediator. We need a high priest. And we're told later in this glorious book that for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no relationship of peace. And so God made the provision that we read about in Leviticus 17, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. You see, we need to realize how serious sin really is. It takes blood. Sin is cosmic treason against the holy God of the universe. And at the fall, Adam and all of his descendants were plunged into this separation. And the reality of each man and woman born of Adam comes forth with a natural disposition of enmity to God. Broken fellowship, and we need atonement. We need a mediator. We need peace. The high priest stands in our presence and in the Lord's presence to mediate for us you never you know every ancient culture had some notion of the need for a priest to stand between people sinners and the gods and i think essentially it was a lot like the way that we view lawyers today that relationship. You know, lawyers, they argue a case before a judge for a person. They seek to make a deal. They seek to get a plea. They seek to, to cut some kind of a deal, a compromise for wrongdoing, to pay off someone and cut a deal, to negotiate. That's what the ancients were trying to do, the, the, the pagan priests, to pay off the gods. But think about it. The holy God of the universe will not and cannot be bought off. He can't make a plea deal. He can't compromise his holiness. And we read that the high priest comes on behalf of men to offer not just sacrifices, but gifts. Gifts and sacrifices for sin. So what gift can any one of us offer up from our spiritual bankruptcy to appease the holiness of God? Of course, all the high priests taken from the line of Aaron, serving in the tabernacle and then the temple, had to offer a sacrifice of atonement for themselves before they could go before the Lord for the nation. And we see that in the great day of atonement. The sin offering was placed on the altar, sacrificed, and then and only then would the high priest go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the mercy seat the place where God's glory dwelt 
before his people so that there would be covenant blessing. The Lord passed over the sins of his people in the Old Testament because he had the promise of the great high priest to come. In God's mercy, we see his grace in the old and in the new as the great high priest was promised and would come. But notice the second qualification for the high priest. As described by God's word, the order of Aaron, it was necessary that he would have a nature, a heart disposition towards the people he serves. You see that in verse 2? So he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. We see this important qualification of the high priest. that It must be manifested not just outwardly in his service, in his acting and providing sacrifices, but in his inward disposition, his heart of compassion and mercy to have a a pathos towards the people that he served, compassion for where they are and what they're dealing with, understanding the hardships of this life, living in this broken world, the human condition. He has to be one of us. He has to identify with us. He has to understand us, to be gentle towards us. But just like Moses, Aaron And all the high priests who ever served in the tabernacle and the temple grew weary of the people and lost it. Yes, they did. Just think about it. Moses, we're told, was the most humble of all men. Not a prophet like him in all of Israel. And yet we know that Moses lost it. In Numbers 20, when he was dealing with the stiff-necked, hard-hearted people and he took his staff and he banged the rock. It's because he wanted to bang the heads of the people. No doubt Aaron had the same thing take place as he served. You know, if you've ever tried to selflessly serve people like you and me, people like us, you easily lose it. You don't have compassion, but you break out with anger and bitterness. Well, Aaron did this, no doubt, as a sinner as he journeyed for 40 years in the wilderness with these people. Well, we've seen the duties when we've seen the nature in which the line of Aaron is incapable of fully fulfilling. And now we see the calling. Verse 4, Aaron was called by God alone. You know, God told Moses in Exodus to appoint his brother Aaron as the first high priest. You know, in ministry, we talk about the internal calling and the external calling, and it is very difficult. It's a very painful process for many men as they discern their calling to vocational ministry. A man begins to sense in his heart a a longing and a desire to serve the Lord. He begins to have a burning in his heart to, to proclaim the gospel. And then he begins to have a a burden on his heart to shepherd the people of God. That's the internal call. And then as the church begins to see the reality of this taking place, the use of gifts and a, a desire to apply oneself to serve the Lord, then there is this external call of an encouragement to go forth, enter the call. Of course, there must be the biblical qualifications that 
coincide with a burden on the heart to serve the Lord, and then an echo, a reality of that, an amen of that by the people. Well, again, this is a difficult process. It's often very painful. And how wonderful it would have been if an audible voice came from heaven and just said, you are called to serve me. Get busy. Well, that's how God called Aaron through Moses to be the first high priest of Israel. So God alone called this man. He was consecrated. That means he was set apart to a holy office to serve as mediator, the high priest between sinful Israel and holy God. But you know, we're confronted with the reality that his calling and his line were temporary. A shadow or a type of the one true high priest to come, the one truly qualified to truly realize and fulfill the office because Aaron couldn't fully realize this. Aaron could not be the true high priest of God's people because Aaron and all those who served in his capacity after him died and were buried because the wages of sin is death. But hallelujah, brothers and sisters, our great high priest is not of the line of Aaron, but he is of the holy line of Melchizedek, the high priest of life. That brings us to our second main point this morning. Believers have confidence in God's grace because Christ alone perfectly realized the calling and fulfilled the duties of the true high priest. We see that in verses 5 to 10. I think it's interesting to note here in the way that verses 1 to 10 are put together. In literary jargon, this is called a, a chiasm. There is an inversion here. There's a pattern here that's taking place that the, the author is using to drive, drive home something very specific. The pattern is an A, B, C, C, B, A. We see it in verses 1 to 5. We see the duties and the nature and the calling. And now for the Lord Christ, we see the calling, the nature, and the duties. He's driving home that Jesus is the true and better high priest of God, the one that we need. We see his calling there in verses 5 and 6, the calling of Christ. He realized the eternal and holy calling as the high priest, not fallen and flawed line of Aaron, but of the glorious line of Melchizedek. This is so beautiful. Verses 5 and 6. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews makes reference to Melchizedek, this shadowy figure from Genesis chapter 14. When Abraham's uh, family was taken captive by the pagan kings, he goes out, he makes war, he conquers, and he delivers Lot and his family. Remember the story. And as he came back from the victory, he met Melchizedek. The king of Salem and the prophet or the priest of God most high. And they ate bread and drank wine. He paid him tithes. You see, Jesus is called high priest after the order of Melchizedek 
who is the king of Salem, the king of peace, and the high priest of God most high. Isn't it interesting that the author quotes from Psalm 2, that great and glorious psalm, whereby God the Father bears witness and declares that his son, the eternal son, is coming into the world and is given the nations as his inheritance to conquer. And then he couples it with Psalm 110, which is the great enthronement psalm of David, whereby he has conquered all of his enemies. He has peace around him as the undisputed king, and he drinks from the Gihon Spring right there in Jerusalem, the city of peace, the king who is the priest of life and peace. This is his holy calling. This is our Jesus. Isn't this interesting and important that he brings this together? He's already quoted from Psalm 2 in the very first chapter of Hebrews. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. We have to see how powerful and profound this is that Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are joined together to identify the nature and the actions of the one called by God to be king of kings, the king of peace, who's the high priest of life. Because you see, this king, he comes forth, and in the gospel, he does not take the nations through force with weapons of war to destroy and the brutality of the way of the kings of the world. No, he does it through the mystery and the wonder of being the Lamb of God, the high priest, the king who is able to offer up himself as the gift of God, and the Lamb of God, the one who is able to offer up himself as the sacrifice for his people. Think about that. The glory of this beautiful high priest the one who can come and through his life, death, and resurrection destroy the kingdom of Satan, destroy sin and death and hell for his people, his lambs, his sheep, and then bring them into his body, the church, the king, the priest who can save and sanctify. Christ was called because he alone is perfectly fitted in every way to answer the calling because as we love to sing and declare at Christmas, he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's the Prince of Peace. He is the priest of life. Well, that's his perfect calling. What about his nature? What about the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ as the true high priest? You know, he has the glorious nature not infected with sin because he doesn't have Adam as his father. The Holy Spirit, God as his father, conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So with Mary as his mother, he is true bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh, and he can come forth and grow in his humanity as he identifies with us, and he goes through the reality of the frailties of this life and the brokenness of this life, and he can have a heart of love and compassion for us because he is one with us, not like fallen and flawed Aaron, but perfect and pure in heart and emotions and desire and love with a heart of mercy and compassion that is real, that is perfect, 
You see the nature of Christ in verses 7 and 8, perfectly fitted to be our high priest. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. We need to see this, brothers and sisters. We can confidently draw near to God's throne of grace because of our high priest's nature. His nature, like ours, but perfect. The scripture says, in the days of his flesh. What does that mean? That means all the days of his earthly ministry, from his birth all the way to his death, he grew in the hardships and the realities of what it meant to live in this broken, violent, sinful world of pain and death and betrayal and heartbreak and loss. Jesus was all about his Father's will as he went through this process of growing and learning in his humanity. He was always communing in prayer with his Father. He offered up prayers to his Father day and night, and he offered up prayers of supplication for those that he had come to save and sanctify. Because of his heart of compassion, his nature, he matured in wisdom and experience, and he matured in his mercy and grace as he placed it always before himself, looking to his people to save them and sanctify them. Think about this. This is totally different than some pagan high priest that's just stoic, going through the motions with a stony heart and a stony face, just somehow to go through the motions of being a priest to receive payment. Not Jesus. He had a heart of compassion and mercy for us says that Christ offered up prayers and groaning from his heart from boyhood into manhood. He was identified with us. He wasn't separate from us. He wasn't distant from us. He was in the midst of us as one of us. And we have to see that that heart of compassion for us led the Lord Jesus all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the place of pressing When he was presented with the the cup of what it would mean to become the sin bearer, what that would mean, divine judgment, separation from God the Father, punishment in hell, going to the cross. He offered up cries and tears for us. You know, when he was presented with this cup, he sweat drops of blood. It's though his entire body was weeping for his people. And the anguish of it. And I think it's interesting, unlike the proper posture of a rabbi praying to Jehovah with arms outstretched and palms raised high and face to the sky, Jesus is beat flat on his face on the ground in Gethsemane because of the anguish, the reality of what he would have to endure as the sacrifice of atonement to offer up the gift of his life. Think about this, brothers and sisters. From his birth all the way to his death, he was filling up 33 years of perfect righteousness in every way. He's the law of God in the flesh in motion so that he could face God's holy justice as our substitute. He offered up the gift of his righteousness for us. 
and he offered up the gift of his life and sacrifice to atone for our sins, the Holy One, his obedience, perfect and pure, his prayers, perfect and pure, his supplications, perfect and pure. And what do we read? They were heard because of his reverence, his righteousness. We know the Father heard him because he raised him on the third day from the dead. And so as Christ grew and he learned and he lived to bring glory to the Father, he was perfect and pure and he did this for us with a heart for us. As the scriptures talk about with the bowels of compassion for his people, he loved us from the very core of his being. You know, there's no way that we can really begin to understand what Christ endured upon the cross. But we can know one thing for certain, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ's heart of love for his people is bigger than the cosmos. For you and for me, for those who are in him, by the covenant of God's grace sealed in his blood. Well, we can't help it. We have to look here finally at the end of his duties. We see this, the duties of Christ as the high priest in verses 8, 9, and 10. We read, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Again, as the king of kings, And the high priest of peace and life, he is the one who comes forth as the lion lamb to do it all. To do it all for his people. That we might have free and full salvation. He grew in perfection as the lamb. He learned righteous obedience. He suffered in his passion upon the cross to bear our sins. To bring peace as the king of Salem. To bring forth the eternal covenant. We say it nearly every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we hold the cup. Is not this cup of blessing a participation in the blood of Christ? If you participate in the blood of Christ, you participate in the life of Christ through grace and the gift of faith. You see, he comes and by his love, he conquers our hearts so that we heed the call and we obey the Christ, not unwillingly, But willingly when he changes us and shows us his glory, shows us his beauty, shows us our need of him, he gives us a new mind, a new heart, a new will. And so we run to embrace Christ, to confess his holy name. We know what we need in life and in death, and that's Christ, the true high priest. Well, brothers and sisters, How could we turn away from such a salvation? The glory, the gift, the wonder. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no life. But in Christ, there is life eternal. And he is able to make the foulest clean by his blood, to bring us by his grace and mercy through his person and work to the Father, to know fellowship, to be at peace with God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. So on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we mourn for the brokenness, don't we? We must, we should, we can't. 
turn our minds away from this truth. We mourn for the brokenness and the loss because of the sin of murdering babies created in the image of God. That anyone would do that is a horror. Doesn't this show just how bankrupt humanity is? But you see, Christ, our high priest, our king of peace, he's able to cover all of his bride and all of our sins. To save and to sanctify each and every lamb. You know, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in his first letter, chapter 6. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Well, that pretty much covers it, brothers and sisters. We're all in that list somewhere. And we all need the same great high priest, king of peace, our savior. He's the one that saves us from the idolatry of self that manifests in rebellion in all manner of ways. He is who we truly need. Our greatest problem is sin, and He is the only solution, and it's a glorious solution. It's a new life. It's a new heart. It's a new future. It's a new inheritance. He realized and fulfilled the calling and the nature and the duties as the high priest of God so that we can receive the benefits of His reward We receive the benediction because he received the malediction. We have forgiveness, righteousness, and the blessed life of faith and repentance day by day with him. Take hold of him by faith. Because if you don't, even though you may say you don't need a high priest, I assure you everyone has one. And there's only one that will make intercession. Because if you say, look, look at what I've done. Come on, look at my life. I have been nice. I am a nice person. I am good on more days than I'm bad. You see, then that's, that's become your high priest, your works righteousness. That's what's going to stand between you and holy God. And that's a false hope. Or maybe you say, hey, look, look, I'm better than most people then that's a flawed standard that becomes your high priest. And it's a false hope. Or maybe you're like Warren Buffett. You know, he said while giving away $3.4 billion to charity, quote, there's more than one way to get into heaven, but this is a great way. Close quote. How sad that one of the richest men in the world could be so blind to his desperate need. You can have all the money in the world and it will not mediate for you between holy God and your sinful reality. You need Christ, the high priest of life. And he offers himself to you 
and for you in the preaching of his gospel and by his grace. So let us receive him. Let us rejoice in him. Let us praise his holy name and be about the business of pointing others to the high priest that they need. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Almighty, we worship you. We praise you. We are struck by just how profound and serious your word is. That we're sinners in need of grace, and yet you are the great Savior that offers us what we need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our gift and our sacrifice, that we can be at peace with the holy God of the universe. And thank you for the mystery and the wonder that your spirit fills us and seals us with this promise and gives us new life that we might be your people, born again to a living hope, clothed in your righteousness, cleansed of our sins. Help us, Lord, to run in the way of that glorious blessing that our lives would look different and that our words would sound different and that we would be ambassadors for the high priest who is the king of peace and life. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.